This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Get out of here and get something cold to drink. <laughs> Y'all want to, too, you know it. All right, let it rip, let it rip, let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Inside the Tunnel. We are back after a two-week hiatus. We had Tyree Saunders on last week for an impromptu interview, but now it's Doug and I back in the booth. Uh, I appreciate Tyree filling in for me last week. Um, Always good to have the week off, but glad to be back. You had a Virginia Tech wide receiver in your place. How does that make you feel? I wish it was somebody like Andre Davis or Eddie Royal or somebody, but I think we'll settle for Tyree Saunders and see and see what happens um, over the next four years with them. We should have some more guests. Maybe Andre Davis will jump on. But uh, Andre, if you're a listener, just reach out. We'll take you. Yeah, but we do have a special interview coming up next week. Drum roll, please. No, 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 no. Not a generic one. We could do better. We have Luther Maddie joining the pod with Doug and I. Ooh. So that's going to be a really fun one. Luther Maddie, definitely an iconic Hokie, I would say, and probably can give us a lot of insight into the last of the Beamer years and what it was like carrying him off the field. I know there's that photo with the all black uniforms, and Luther Maddie was one of the people, just I think JC Coleman was the other, just carrying uh, Coach Beamer off after the UNC game. So that's going to be a special one. That's going to be a nostalgic one, and can't wait for that one. A really interesting mental image of like Luther Maddie and JC Coleman <laughs> as the two guys carrying him off. But um, he should have some interesting stuff to say about his time there. And then I, I think. I'm hoping to get into a little bit of his recruiting story because it's a little, it's interesting. He was a January late take kind of guy, so pretty much wasn't recruited by Virginia Tech until the very end. So we'll get into that. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Before we really jump into it in this pod, I have some somber news. Oh for no! All the, for all the day ones, they know we were looking to go back to back in eighth grade rec basketball for the championship. The Wolves' playoff run ended short. First round, they paired yeah, us I... arbitrarily against another team from another division that was 7-0, and zero, and we got clobbered. Called <laughs> off the Wolves with five minutes to go. We thought we were going to go back-to-back. It's tough when you win a championship in year one, but we'll rebound. We'll look at the tape, see where we can get better. We have a full off season. Maybe we could do some recruiting and grab some five stars to bolster the roster. But unfortunately, I am not going to be able to to tell the people on this pod that that we're a championship team. You know, you're already talking about next year. But as a as a team that won the national championship basically two years ago, and now you get a first round exit. I'm not I'm not so cer- certain you're not on the hot seat right now. Um, we'll have to see what the parents decide. We might be. It's like UVA reverse. It's like winning the championship first, then losing to a 16 seed, except this team was actually pretty good. So no UMBC vibes with them. Hats off to the, uh, <laughs> I don't know what their team name was, but hats off to them for a big, big upset. Hats off to the Eagles. Good luck oh. with the rest of the run, but the Wolves will come back stronger. Anyways, now for the, the real serious stuff. We got to talk about Virginia Tech basketball. It hasn't been the best. Losers of eight of the last nine. Most recently against Louisville on Saturday. There was times when it looked close, especially the first half. Second half, you can tell that the size of Louisville playing on the road and just 
altogether them being a team that's in the top 15 really took a toll on Virginia Tech. And I know a lot of people are talking about the Hunter Couture foul. That was absolutely insane. <laughs> Just to recap, he didn't even touch the guy on Louisville and was called for a foul. The clip is going viral everywhere, but another tough loss in addition to UVA, which came down to the wire, and they're hitting every clutch shot in every game, even against Duke. So UVA is is perking up at the right time, and Virginia Tech is just trying to stay afloat with two games remaining. Kind of see Virginia Tech learning how to win over the last nine games. You know, the loss to UVA was at the end. Louisville, they were tied at half. So I think you're just seeing a team full of freshmen kind of go through their first their first go round in the ACC and what what's that what that's like losing to UVA and Louisville this year. I mean that's to be expected. They had a great great start to the ACC play, but obviously it's caught up to them. But I think you still have to be really encouraged about how the team competes, how they play. They don't look lost out there, I think, is one of the things you watch them. I mean, that Louisville game, the all, the shots weren't falling in the first five minutes offensively, but they were playing strong enough defense. And if you watch them rotate and pick up players and all that stuff, they, they know what they're doing out there. They Still good things coming in the next couple of years. So what's next? Two games remaining, Clemson, Notre Dame, then what? Talk to me about postseason because last week (laughs) we were thinking about the idea that maybe Virginia Tech could sneak into the NIT I looked up the field of competitors in the NIT and it's absolutely stacked household names all over just because college basketball is so balanced this year it's like everyone has to go somewhere so the NIT just all of a sudden has really good names in it so that seems very unlikely But there are other tournaments. Talk to me about the prospects, the pros and cons of maybe another postseason tournament outside the NIT. Yeah, I think they'd have to win like maybe the the last two games and then like two games in the ACC tournament to make the NIT. They're they're an 11 seed right now in the ACC tournament. And there's four locks in the ACC for the NCAA tournament and uh maybe five if NC State can get in. So I think the NIT would take the four or five teams ahead of Tech in the standings before they would take Virginia Tech. But the other two tournaments are the CBI, which I don't have this for sure, but I think, I'm pretty sure it stands for College Basketball Invitational. And then the CIT, which is the collegeinsider.com tournament, I believe. Um, they're kind of... They're below the NIT, and you'll see a you'll see a Power Five team in those tournaments every once in a while. The problem with those is it's more travel, which is more money. It pays. It's a it's a bigger loser in terms of money for the athletic department than the NIT. I don't think you lose money on the NIT there, but I'm, you might even have to pay an entry fee to get into the CBI or the CIT. So, um, you know. Will would that help this team develop? You know, I don't know if two or three games against weak opponents in the CBI or CIT is going to quite do it, and particularly with a athletic department that, as we all know, is financially uh, fiscally conservative. We'll say uh, I don't know if you'll see them particularly willing to shell out the extra money to go play. Bradley or Louisiana Tech or somebody like that in the CIT or CBI? I think at this point, a better idea is just take everyone on the on the team for Virginia Tech, split them amongst the two courts at McComas. You probably have better competition with your local Virginia Tech students playing pickup basketball than you do in the CBI or the CIT. So I'm completely ruling it out. I'm saying I've- don't do it. Just go to the McComas pickup court and have fun. That'll I be have, practice. I have played a couple pickup games at McComas, and now I quickly realized War Memorial was more my level. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> McComas is, is highly competitive. Uh, moving on from Virginia Tech basketball, jumping right into football. First thing on the agenda, the hard hat series. Oh, hard hat mentality. Personally, 
I love this idea. I mean, we've been preaching for so long that we need access into the program. We need stories to connect to. I think we talked about that in the one two weeks ago. And all of a sudden, the content team really has stepped up and they're producing wonderful mini documentaries on each of the personnel on the team, some of the coaches. But the latest one was the Brock Hoffman, which is a very interesting case. Brock Hoffman, a transfer from Coastal Carolina. His waiver was denied by the NCAA. Surprisingly, even though he had a coaching change and his mother had health issues and he was, you know, slightly outside that 100 mile radius. A whole so there was like, miles. <laughs> there's so many factors that went into it that when you look at it, it should be a waiver that makes sense when you look at other waivers outside of Brock Hoffman. But honestly, it was nice to see the perspective because you don't get to see Brock Hoffman. He doesn't get to travel to away games. He doesn't get to go to the podium and speak to the media. And I thought it was very interesting for a guy that has not taken a snap for Virginia Tech. He's a leader. He's a, a weight room warrior. He's a guy that other players on the offensive line and the coach's head coach is taking notice of. So I thought that was really interesting that he has so much of an impact without even playing. And his expectations are now sky high for next year uh, because the coaches were saying we need to get him on the field. So I don't recall another transfer that hadn't played that is making this much of an impact. I mean, the guy started two years at Coastal, which was one of the during those couple years one of the better programs in in the FCS. Yeah, I think that was a really an obvious story to tell considering the content behind it and and um just any anything that happens with Brock, if you want to see the impact that he's had on the team and the respect he has, like just watch Twitter whether it was this story getting posted or when he was officially eligible. He's quickly got a ton of support there. From, from guys on the team. So he's one of the leaders of the team and of a of an offensive line that's got high expectations for next year. So yeah, I think I think that was a, as far as who needs to be introduced to the team and the fan base. And I think that was a good choice. Yeah, and one more thing I'll say on Brock Hoffman. What I really like about his game, he played center for two years, but that role is so much more than just being a good player it's about communicating with the rest of the linemen and even if he's not playing center for virginia tech obviously brian hudson was there last year there's zachariah hoy having a guy that knows where everyone's supposed to be knows the different fronts of a defense and knows how to align different guys i think that's really important because if he's playing at center perfect he can align all his guys if he's not he could still do the same thing. He could still be a guy that kind of leads that offensive line room. We'll see. I think it's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up on the offensive line for sure. But I think he made a good point. It's like having, it would be like having two quarterbacks out there reading the defense. Um, maybe we can get Hinton Hooker, Quincy Patterson out on the field at the same te- time with Brian Hudson and Brock Hoffman and you know, shift the offensive line one way or the other a little bit, and all of a sudden Hoffman's a center instead of Hudson. Could get pretty crazy. <laughs> I like that. So with the hard hat series, we've seen Quincy Patterson. We've seen Hendon Hooker. That was another great one. Uh, we've seen the coaches uh, do one as well. It was a brief one. And then now the latest one has been Brock Hoffman. I'm assuming there's going to be a bunch more coming out throughout the offseason. Who would you like to see next in the hard hat series? Amari Barno is a guy that would be interesting to learn about. Khalil Herbert as a transfer from Kansas, maybe give him a chance to settle in a little bit more. You know, offensive linemen and defensive linemen are always, always funny and have some interesting things to say. So I think you could get like, uh, get the four, get the defensive tackles all in the same room, have them talk like Hewitt and Crawford and, Pollard and Kendricks and Josh Fuga. Um, those are kind of the, the eccentric guys I, I think I'd want to know about. Caleb Farley obviously has a great story to tell um, for everything he's been through. Trey Turner, as the best player on the team, you probably want to hear from him. So those are those those are my list. That's my list off the top of my head. The easy one for me is Oscar and Oscar, just because the name sounds good and special teams. You know, it would be a good story. Oscar's is a tremendous story. 
Um, and then the other one would be Rayshard Ashby, Dax Hollyfield, maybe a little Alan Tisdale there as well. I think that one would be really interesting. Or you bring in Dax and Bud Foster and they talk things out. Or Bud Foster comes in and interviews Justin Hamilton and that's how we get to know Justin Hamilton. I'm just throwing out free content ideas here for uh, at Hokies football team. The one thing on the linebackers I'd say is... If we could get Alan Tisdale on there to talk about puking against Miami, get the, <laughs> get the full, maybe it's like a full, they spli- splice together like everybody on the field at that time talking about like what the reaction was and <laughs> if they saw it, if they didn't. I think there's there's more to be told there about that story. And add some dramatic music over it. Another football storyline, Virginia Tech spring game will finally be televised under the Justin Fuente era, but it's going to be delayed. So it's not live. If you go there live, you get to watch it in person like every other year. But at, what was it, midnight, 10 p.m.? 10.30, I think. So at 10.30, you're able to watch the game, Virginia Tech, spring game. I think that's going to be interesting because I've been going there every single year, and I'm trying to remember specific plays to write about. And you can't watch everything all at once. So you're built up to this moment where you have a decision to make. Do I watch the quarterbacks? Do I watch the offensive line? Do I see the receivers that need to step up for Damon Hazleton? Now you can look back on it and write some stories about it. So I think, obviously, with the ACC Network, it's quite mandatory to do this. But I'm glad it's being implemented. I know it's kind of weird to have a delay on it and not broadcast it as it's going live. But it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, the ACC Network's going to broadcast basically every spring game, I, I imagine. And then it'll be on over and over again throughout the rest of the the off season. But, I mean, yeah, ACC definitely mandated this. I, <laughs> if spring games already as they are are pretty bland in terms of what the team is going to show, um, you know, Virginia Tech's not even going to have their top three cornerbacks in the spring. So I don't, I'm not sure what that first team defense is going to look like, but um, yeah, it's a good opportunity to just kind of get a glimpse of everything and see how, see how people move, see how people run. You know, you're not going to look at actual plays and like judge the (laughs) complexity of the offense or anything like that. But you get a chance to look at a Khalil Herbert, a Raheem Blackshear, a Kashan, Kashan King with hopefully a little extra weight. Um, it's it's a good thing for the fan base to see the team. And um, just like the, the hard hat series, it's just like getting the fan base engaged and knowing the team more than, you know, what they can do during the fall. Over under five jet sweeps in the Virginia Tech spring game. <laughs> they should They should have an entire, like, <laughs> sec period of just jet sweeps where you know we say that but they're definitely not going to show any any kind of like actual jet sweep considering penn state just has to dvr the game now so but well i'm sure they'll dust off at least one speaking of penn state we have some effect games coming into play uh the student government association announced that there's going to be several uh effect games next fall Probably the most controversial one is the stripe the stadium effect game for Penn State. What that means is it was the Notre Dame game in 2018 where one section would be maroon, the next orange, and so on and so forth. What do you think about that, Doug? Is that a good idea to do that against Penn State? I think it's a fine idea. Um, It looked pretty cool against... Clearly it has no bearing on the game. Of course. Uh, Um... I, I know some people are talking about a blackout for that game, or maybe that's the maroon effect game where tech breaks out the all maroon. Um, but it's fine. It looks cool on TV. And I got to say, if, if it is stripe the stadium, it looked really cool at night against Notre Dame when all the cell phones were flashing. But I don't know if it will look as cool if it's like a 3.30 game. Yeah, I, I follow this guy on Twitter. His name is like Matt. I'm going to butcher his name. Matt Sarz, Sarzniak, but he's a college. He picks the college football like 
schedules basically and he's really knowledgeable about it um and his early projection are actually for that to be a noon game oh there's god a, there's, <laughs> there's there's a handful of other games there he says atlanta never likes to have a noon kickoff for that so they'll probably get preferential treatment take a 330 slot there's the u.s open tennis finals which takes another 330 slot and then oregon ohio state is a big one texas Texas LSU maybe again. Oh man. So it's competitive and basically what he was saying is it's a toss up there to see if 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 it's a nooner or a three thirty game. Yeah, I gotta admit if it is a noon game, I would be a little deflated about that, about attending. I will be there that weekend. So I'm really I'm I'm crossing my fingers for a night game. We'll see if it happens. I mean, it'll be tough. It'll be tough to overcome those odds, but we'll see. And I know you wanted to talk about the apparel options. <laughs> so dive into that. Which color section is the better one to sit in? Yeah, so you got the maroon sections and the orange sections. And, you know, as far as your 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 apparel choices, you're going to be looking at this is September, September 12th. So it's possible it could be cold, but um, it also could be scorching hot. You're probably looking at a T-shirt, a polo. And they'll have the orange effect shirts for sale, but I, I think maroon is definitely the heavy favorite. Continuing on this a little further, Penn State's wearing white, so it kind of you can't wear white. Normally, you could rock like a white white VT polo. There's a lot of good v, white VT polos out there. I have a I have a nice number fifty six Corey Moore white jersey, which is a classic, um, but can't rock that because it's white and Penn State's wearing white, so you're pretty limited. So you need the diversity of the maroon apparel. The only thing I don't like about the stripe, the stadium, is that the entire away section is going to be white. A lot of Penn State fans are coming. They're probably going to be sprinkled throughout the stadium as well. And white is a very standout color, especially in the daytime. So it's going to be tough. Uh, Yeah, I don't know how this one's going to work out, but uh, it's worth a shot, I guess. It'll look fine. I mean, Penn State will be there, but there'll still be 55,000 tech fans there that'll make it look right. Moving on to our new segment around the ACC Coastal. Been waiting all week for this. We don't have much this week. (laughs) But today, Georgia Tech announced that they're dropping their appeal for their basketball postseason ban, which means they will not be playing in the ACC tournament. What that also means is that Virginia Tech, which is projected to be a 12 seed at the moment, since they are behind Georgia Tech and they're dropping out, they would bump up a slot to the 11 seed. Nice, nice. Previously, they were supposed to play Wake Forest in round one of the ACC tournament. Now, with Georgia Tech dropping out, right now they're supposed to play North Carolina. How do you feel about that? Uh, not the best turn of events there. I think UNC beat NC State pretty handily recently. They compete with basically everybody and then lose at the end. So um, they got Cole Anthony back, which just makes them a different team. Not the best matchup there as far as that. That feels like a like a situation where Carolina could win two or three games in the ACC tournament and then play like Duke in the semis or something like that. And all of a sudden they've turned around their season. Um, It seems perfect for that kind of story. And to go from Wake Forest, which they've had some good wins. I think they beat Duke a couple last week. Yeah. So so they've, they've hung in there with Danny Manning, but they're still not as talented, not as athletic, not as, capable team as Carolina you know Carolina's just had a just a, just a terrible season of bad luck and close close losses late and then if you're if you're thinking about what who you want to play you take Wake Forest 100 times out of 100 over North Carolina I'm with you on that 100 percent yeah I mean Tech beat both teams they beat North Carolina in overtime and that was without Cole Anthony that will be a top five pick in the NBA draft. Honestly, you're right. North Carolina is just a team that seems destined for a run. It's so unpredictable in the ACC that like Wake Forest beats Duke, but they're still not a good team. So I don't know what to make of that. 
but I know that if you're looking at Wake Forest, I know they have that seven-footer in the paint, but other than that, Virginia Tech matches up much better against Wake Forest. That's a chance for another win. That's a chance for a confidence booster. If you're playing the next round against like a Notre Dame and maybe you don't get through, at least you made it there. Whereas with North Carolina, it would be it would be it would be a bad feeling to go into the offseason knowing you lost in one of the play in games to the ACC tournament. Yeah, playing on Tuesday in the ACC tournament is not great as it is, and that would be a sh- that would be a short stay in the ACC tournament. The next storyline we have around the ACC coastal, twenty four seven sports. The main guys, the big the big guns of the company, rated the all. The mothership rated all the ACC quarterbacks. They ranked them, put Hendon Hooker at number seven throughout the ACC. If you look at it just through the ACC coastal lens, that would make him number four. Number three would be Kenny Pickett. Number two, Derek King, the Houston transfer now at Miami. And number one, Sam Howell of North Carolina. I don't disagree with Howell and Derek King. If you look at their numbers, they're pretty tremendous. Where I have a real issue with this is Kenny Pickett at number three. I was kind of ragging on him in the Pittsburgh preview, saying that he wears two gloves most of the time when he's quarterbacking. If you look at his stats, they're really not that impressive. He threw for 3,000 yards, but only had 13 touchdowns to nine interceptions. Threw for roughly 62%. And if you look at Hendon Hooker, he's at 61%, only 1,500 yards, but has just as many touchdowns, 13 touchdowns to two interceptions. And most importantly, he's a dual threat guy that had five touchdowns on the ground. He's 165.8 quarterback ranking or rating. And Kenny Pickett's at 122. So he has 40 points on the rating for quarterback. More efficient guy. I know these two are probably, when you look at the ACC Coastal quarterbacks, Sam Howell, D.R. King, they're going to put up big stats. And when you look at Hennon Hooker and Kenny Pickett, they're kind of your game managers. You're relying on your ground game to do something. And wherever these guys can fit in, they'll find yards. They'll find touchdowns. They'll be your generals on the field. But I just think Hendon Hooker, if you give him a full season and not just the eight games he played – I mean, to me, he already showed more than Kenny Pickett did last year. So I would go Hendon Hooker, number three. Kenny Pickett, number four. I know it's not a huge argument here, but I don't know. I thought that was a little disrespectful putting Kenny Pickett over Hendon Hooker. Yeah, you covered it. I guess Pickett's getting a lot of credit for being a returning starter. I guess he'll be back on like year three or four at Pittsburgh, but like, Pittsburgh under Pat Narduzzi is never going to have a prolific like uh, like offense that throws the ball all, all over the yard. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the gripe. You 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 hit the nail on the head. And I think head to head, Hooker outplayed him this year. And then even you you look at some of the individual plays Hooker made. I think his his potential is. A, l- a little bit above and beyond what Pickett's potential is. You think about that 50-yard touchdown run he had against UVA. I th- I, yeah, I agree. I think Hooker's number three. I think Howell and King are fine as number one and two. Howell is getting so much pub as a, I, you know, that's... He's really like, good, though. He's, he's really good. He's really good, but he's teeing up for a sophomore slump of some kind, I think. But yeah, I think there's... Those three at the top are probably closer than I think Kenny Pickett would. All right. Do you want to preview your new idea for a segment on future podcasts? Yeah. So we're going to, um, so later this summer, I'll be writing this in uh, word form, but we can kind of intro this and preview it week by week as, as we have a little more free time this off season, but we're going to be talking about the biggest what ifs in Virginia tech history. Um, Mostly, this will be, if you're an old-timer looking for like stuff in the 80s and 70s, um, that's not going to happen. We're probably going <laughs> to focus on the modern era here. You know, you're talking about Michael Vick, if he redshirts in 98 or comes back in 2001. Talking about if Virginia Tech goes, doesn't make it or doesn't get an invite to the ACC, if Frank Beamer leaves to go to 
UNC, if Tyrod Taylor, number one, if he can redshirt his freshman year, or if he doesn't come to Virginia Tech, how does that change it? Um, there's a lot of big what-ifs that uh, I'll be spending the summer um, diving into and kind of trying to figure out what might have happened or what what wouldn't have happened at Virginia Tech without some things happening. We'll start this week with uh, a recent one, Jared Evans, 2016 quarterback, declares for the NFL draft surprisingly after one season in Blacksburg. What if Gerard Evans had returned in 2017? I love this one personally. I think about this because this was during my time at Virginia Tech. And taking this to big picture, I'm just thinking now. Isaiah Ford leaving, Bucky Hodges leaving, Gerard Evans leaving. I think if Gerard Evans decides to stay, it's not just Gerard. I think maybe Isaiah decides to stay as well. I know he was concerned over not having a returning quarterback and then having a, you know, potentially a redshirt freshman guy in Josh Jackson who had never played at that point to throw him the ball. Is that really the best opportunity for him in his senior season? Or does he leave and get whatever grade he gets? Same thing with Bucky Hodges. So if, if we're talking about Gerard Evans coming back, we can also make the argument that Isaiah Ford and Bucky Hodges are more inclined to return as well. You're talking about a much better offense. And then you pair that with a defense that essentially they had three shutouts in two other games. They allowed 10 or fewer points and only allowed 30 or more points twice, once in the bowl game and once to number two Clemson. You're talking about probably one of the best defenses in college football that year paired with an offense that wrote records in Virginia Tech's single season history books coming back for another year. I mean, look, I don't want to get too excited about that, but if you're (laughs) adding in all those factors together, all those guys coming back on offense and not just Cam Phillips being the sole wide receiver, it's a pretty scary team. Maybe they do a lot more damage in the ACC. Maybe we're talking about this team is looking at a college football playoff spot uh, by the end of the season. Who knows if they get there, but at least there's an opportunity there. Yeah, yeah if, if all those guys were to come back, I mean, you're talking about Hodges, Phillips, and Ford being probably the best trio of pass catchers for Gene Tech has had i mean i think there's probably an eddie royal group that has a claim to that or or clearly the 99 team led by letter by our boy andre davis um but yeah if those guys all come back and you're pairing it with evans they tech still didn't have a running game there in 2017 as far as a running back but you know evans is a completely different runner than jackson was you know even you know, Jackson had that big run against West Virginia early, but after that, he wasn't as anywhere as as effective as Evans would have been. So, yeah, that team itself would have been would have been way more talented. And maybe maybe Ford comes back um, with the with the quarterback. I think Hodges was always gone, no matter what. Um, but yeah, with I mean, they, Phillips was are already um, pretty out of the out of out of this world there in 2017 as the lone receiver, and I think with if Ford were to come back to to keep playing with Evans, I think that's a certainly certainly a good enough offense to, to win the Coastal, if not the ACC. Um, and I think the last thing you have to think about with Evans coming back in 2017 is what it means for 2018 going into 2019. If Evans comes back 2017, Jackson doesn't start 2017. He's probably you know, starting 2018 as a redshirt sophomore, which maybe is more fair to him and his development. You, know, you, you look at Ryan Willis, whether he would have come in, um, whether he would have transferred with with Evans coming back and with Jackson and then Hinden Hooker coming in. And just a whole different scenario if if you're looking at Josh Jackson. And then he's Josh Jackson is still, at that point, probably starting at Florida state in his first game as a starter. So, um, you know, I think, you know, there's a chance that that goes really poorly for a first year's first, first game starter, um, on the road in Tallahassee, but there's, 
a chance that with another year of developing, Jackson would have been in better shape to play. Um, and then, and then you think maybe he puts together strong enough. Maybe he puts together a 2018 season that's like his 2017 season, which was pretty decent and seemed like things were going on the right track for him at Virginia Tech. Um, so then maybe he's the f- starter in 2019 and 2020, and all of a sudden Josh, Josh Jackson's a three-year starter and <laughs> one of the best quarterbacks in Virginia Tech history. So um, a lot of what-ifs there around Gerard Evans and all the impacts that that would have made. Yeah, and we'll definitely have some more what-ifs. It's so much fun to talk about, and even pondering the ripple effects after the fact is kind of crazy to think about as well. Um, But to wrap things up, we're going to jump into some questions. The first question we have from Hustla43. How exactly do you feel about how Virginia Tech's recruiting is going? Uh, It's it's, it's slow um, right now. If you look at total commits, um, there's a whole bunch of programs right around Virginia Tech in terms of total commits so far none of which Virginia Tech particularly wants to be around in recruiting rankings as far as the ACC goes. Uh, Miami's Miami, Clemson, and UNC are the pre- pretty much your competition right now in the ACC. Miami's got 10 already. Clemson's at 9. UNC's at 5 with 4 4 stars. Um, so a little slow in terms of getting the commits, but I don't think it's I don't think it's any reason to be concerned or anything it's just the 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 players virginia tech is recruiting aren't ready to commit or they aren't ready to officially announce so um yeah i think i think it's a big opportunity this spring to get guys on campus and um clearly they are doing things outside the box a little bit you think you talk about midnight madness with the california guys this week so um, you know, recruiting like the results are going to come when the guys on the board are decide to commit or go public. It's like just because Miami has ten already, just means they're going to be slower in June or July when maybe Tech is adding a bunch of commits. So um, we'll see. If Tech's top guys are still mostly on the board, so I think you have to be pretty pretty okay with where they are now yeah i would say they're not behind and not ahead i think they're on par if you're looking forward to a potential top 25 class i think they're definitely on pace to hit that mark you look at right now they have three commitments they have demetrius davis perhaps one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the entire nation um and also got a big ratings bump you have Nikilius Johnson, a good athlete that you could put at wide receiver, defensive back, probably defensive back. And you have a safety in Jalen Hoyle, who's a guy that Virginia Tech really, really likes and think could really jump up the rankings. So right now they have a solid foundation. I think when you're talking about Naquan Brown visiting multiple times, Landon Watson, a guy out of the Houston area that has already visited, has set up an official visit and wants to come for the Penn State game. Talking about a guy that clearly knows what's going on at Virginia Tech and is just waiting uh, to jump on a commitment at some point unless someone else comes out of left field at this point. Um, and then there's, you know, various other guys that are in the same situation that are constantly communicating with Virginia Tech. I think they're very much on on pace to get a top 25 class. Uh, it's a bigger class, so there's no reason not to. Um, so I feel pretty good about the direction right now. Um, we'll see what it means moving forward. If, Like Doug mentioned, a lot of these guys are available now. Will they be when their season, senior season starts in August? I don't know. I don't know. So in terms of what they're doing right now, it's good. But honestly, going to need to have a big uh, spring game, bringing a lot of guys onto campus and a huge June when they really start to take official visits. Those are obviously key times. But I think, you know, you look at you look at the season and the recruiting calendar, all that it comes. This class is going to come down to how it's going to depend a lot on what Virginia Tech does on the field in the fall. Um, 
if they can put together a strong season and get a lot of momentum, that Penn State game's huge if they win that one. But even if they were to lose that, um, Miami coming in later in the year is another big, big one. Um, but if they can if they can win the ACC Coastal, which I think is the fair expectation, I think a lot of these recruiting will fall into place. I think that's where a guy like Demetrius Davis can have a huge impact as a if if Virginia Tech proves that they are a program on the rise and and, and clearly they'll have a ton of talent coming back for 2021. Um, you know, I think it's hard to maintain recruiting momentum for a full year when you're either going six and seven in 2018 or you're starting off the year two and two with a huge loss to Duke at home um, in September. So. I really think they can recruit their tails off all summer long, but if they're not gonna, if they underperform next fall, this isn't gonna be a top twenty-five class because, because you know they're gonna go elsewhere. Other teams are recruiting just as hard as Virginia Tech is, um, and I think a lot of it is gonna come down to what will the excitement be about where the program is based on what they do in September, October, and November. BN7 has a bunch of questions. We'll rapid fire through these. Was Jerry Kill really working out of the mop closet? I, <laughs> it's not a mop closet, but I don't, I don't think it's a very luxurious space. Did Fuente encourage John Yetzi to go on that podcast to further the lack of resources message? I'm not sure about all that, but it, I think it's pretty evident that Regardless if he was pushed or not, Virginia Tech doesn't have resources. So they're being transparent about it. Um, so maybe publicizing it isn't such a bad idea just to actually draw people to a cause instead of just sending out drive for 25 emails and hoping that people are going to donate when they don't really know much about the program. So I think that's why it was important to get him on. But I don't know if the primary reason was Fuente saying, listen, we need to raise money. Please go on. I don't think it was anything about raising money. Um, I don't think it was maybe maybe one thought was that it was going to help explain what struggles the recruiting department or not struggles, but what the lack of resources of the recruiting department does for Virginia Tech compared. But I think also, I mean, the main thing is uh, is Billy Ray Mitchell is a former Virginia Tech player that Justin Fuente really likes, that the program really likes, and they're supporting Billy Ray Mitchell, um, which is which is all the reason they need to do. And I think y- Yetzi was a trusted source and clearly works very closely with Justin Fuente um, and the whole coaching staff. So. I think that was like partially was the uh, was the whole like explain what's happening and get us and like help get us more resources kind of thing. But I think mostly it's that, you know, they're supporting a former player, which they should. He talks about the Nike contract and jerseys, I think, with recently went on Twitter and explained that in about two years, they're going to reevaluate that situation, maybe do some modifications to jerseys and actually provided insight that it costs a lot of money to get these random jerseys, or I should say specialty novelty jerseys for games. So I think they're working on that, but it's going to be a few seasons out. Um, The next question First offensive play versus Penn State. Jet sweep. Jet sweep. I'm with (laughs) you there. We're aligned there. Leading rusher on the 2020 team. Uh, Khalil Herbert. I also agree with you there. I think he'll, yeah, I think Blackshear will lead the backfield in receiving yards. We'll probably get the third most carries behind Herbert and King. Um, and then it really depends on King. I mean, if he has a big offseason, he certainly will have a big role on the team come next fall. But it depends on his transformation in the weight room um, and just being durable enough to to handle everything. I think the way they redid the running backs room this year is more in line with some of the if you look at Fuente's look through Fuente's teams, kind of the 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 the, the teams that he has a you know he kind of divvies up the carries 
I don't think any. I don't think Herbert or King or Blackshear or uh, Marco Lee, any of those guys are gonna like be so much better than the other one that they're gonna take all the carries. Um, for King, I think that probably comes next year, but I think for this year, you're still looking at kind of that running back by committee approach where Herbert's probably going to lead the team in rushing, but it's probably not going to be at a, an enormous amount and it'll be pretty close. Is Dax going to ever conquer the Benny's challenge from my perspective? I don't think so. I don't, I think, I think it's going to be too difficult. And if he's conquering that Benny's challenge, it's probably not looking good for him at backer. Uh, so I might be aging myself, but the Benny's challenge is eating an entire Benny's pizza by yourself. An entire pie by yourself. I don't think, I think it's eight po- slices. Is it physically possible? I think he got through four and a half before vomiting the last time. So he, I think it's physically yeah. impossible. Um, I think it should be. <laughs> Andre Davis versus Trey Turner. Who wow. you got? Andre, big Andre podcast. Um, Andre Davis, uh, for sure. What is so hard about a Colorado and why are they called that? That's actually a great question. So a Colorado was invented at the University of Colorado. It's Gary Patterson's preseason conditioning training. So that's where Fuente got it from. And it's pretty much just circuit training. It's like eight to ten different running circuits. And essentially it's like sprints, different types of of agile training uh, or agility training. And yeah, it really, really pushes you because you're not just doing something and stopping. You're going to the next station and then the next one. And just when you think you're done, you have four more stations. So it's really pushing you not only physically, but mentally, but that's why it's called a Colorado. It derives from the university of Colorado. It doesn't sound like anything I'm going to be doing anytime soon. Was Shane going to get a call if Fuente actually bolted to Baylor? I don't think so. I would say I don't, I don't have any information to back right. that up, but I think um, I think Wit would probably go for a current head coach in that situation. Um, so I don't think so. Yeah, I I would say maybe I wouldn't rule it out, um, but again, it, it's so easy to contact people nowadays and just maybe shoot off a message and be like, Hey, you interested? Um, obviously not quite like that, but I think it's easy to collect a a bunch of names and really gauge if they would want the job, not necessarily going into strict contract negotiations and legitimately offering. So contacting him. Yes. I would, I would think if Fuente did leave for Baylor, would he be the next head coach? I would doubt that. I think, yeah, I, I think one thing, if you look at all of Witt's hires, is that he values previous head coaching experience. I think the one coach he hired that didn't have that was the women's volleyball coach that they let go after this year, after three years. Um, you look at, like, the baseball coach, John Sheck, I think I'm, I'm trying his name. He was a head coach before. Kenny Brooks was a head coach before. Buzz Williams, Mike Young, Justin Fuente. Um all, I mean, I think he would be. I think he would be looking a hundred percent for a for a um, for a guy with head coaching experience. The last question we have for tonight is Hokie one two three. Who are two to three guys in the Virginia top ten not named Naquan Brown that you think Virginia Tech has the best shot with? So it's a loaded top ten. And right now, Virginia Tech is extremely high on Travion Henderson. I don't know if he stays in state. Honestly, I could see him going to Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State's interested. I mean, programs across the nation are very interested in him. He's the number 17 overall prospect. Virginia Tech has him at the absolute top of the board. We'll see if they can get him to come to campus. That's the first step in that. 
Tony Grimes is another guy has interest all over the country. Georgia's sticking out to him right now. I think Virginia Tech has a backdoor chance at him. I think because they were the first to offer him, were the first to really start up talking to him before he really blew up, that means something to him. Obviously, he had a really good relationship with Zom Burden, who is now gone. Um, and it's tough pulling kids out of the Virginia Beach area under Fuente. So he's another guy. I think the third and final guy is Tristan Lee. I know right now he's looking into Penn State, Clemson. Again, two programs that have been winning a lot of these battles against Virginia Tech. Recently promoted to a five-star. Um, I've been calling for it for a few months now, but he's a guy that has a really good connection with the Edmonds bros and I think could be a sleeper to end up at Virginia Tech. I, I really do. I think of the three names I just listed, I think Tristan Lee is probably the most probable, but it's still a huge uphill battle to climb. Yeah, and just like I mentioned earlier, if you're recruiting guys, especially this class, which the top 10 of Virginia, you're talking about three five stars, which you know hasn't been the case over the last several years, and a whole bunch of highly recruited four stars. A lot of this is going to come down to whether Virginia Tech wins enough games on the field this season. You're talking about Grimes and Lee and Henderson in particular. They have every single program in the country who will take their commitment. Um, And they'll have, you know, Virginia Tech will get them on campus probably for the Penn State game, I imagine, is going to be the the game for a lot of these guys to come to. But they're going to spend every other weekend at some other top program that's in the top 10 so um regardless virginia tech has to win on the field to have a chance at m- most of these guys 100 percent. any final words for the people doug I, I i don't have any final words other than get excited for luther maddie next week and, and andre davis if you're still looking to come on we'll take you we got a lot to talk about i got one special shout out at the very end of the podcast Shout out to Sean Levy. He was a guy that worked for us at VT Scoop. He just got a new job with Michigan State uh, working in the recruiting department. So huge congratulations to him. It's funny seeing a guy from Virginia Tech who is a student that was asking all these questions. What do I do at press conferences? Where do I put this article? All of a sudden, he's big time. He's Mr. Big Time. So congratulations, Sean. I'm sure you're very busy in your recruiting department and don't have time to listen to this, but I'll send you a clip of it. Mel Tucker getting getting the recruiting department going up there in East Lansing. Anyways, to everyone else, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week with the Luther Maddie interview. Into the world